What's good, everyone? This is Docs Outside the Box. We are fusing money, medicine, and pop culture. Listen, I am your host, Dr. Nee. I am also joined by Dr. Renee. Hey, That's with Dr. An Renee. Hey, so for all of our French-speaking Francophiles and Haitian-speaking no Creole Francophiles, people, it's Francophone. It Francophone, whatever it is, that's a little lesson for y'all. Egu, how you say it again? Egu, accent aigu, accent aigu, right? I said it right. <laughs> yes. All the French-speaking people, all the Creole-speaking people, whatever they like, yo, oh my god, they shaking their head. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I see you're in my studio. You rocking my lights and all the that stuff studio. on my studio. The studio. And you are enjoying yourself. You got the kids to sleep. We are recording almost at 11 o'clock at night. And we got it's a lot late, to talk man. about. We got a lot to talk about today. So let's jump right into it. So listen, we are going to be covering money traps, right? Right now we are on money trap number three, which is related to income. Basically, doctors not asking for the right amount of income. Doctors not asking for or negotiating for what they're really worth. Doctors who are just so focused on going to work and what we do and what we call trading time for dollars, and that's all they do, that by the time they get to being old and they realize, hey, like what I could do in my 30s, I can't do in my 50s. I can't be waking up at you know, four in the morning to patch or suture some, you know, some drunk suit uh, guy's eyelid or something like that at, you know, at the age of 50 or 55. I don't want to get out of my bed and do this, you know? So we're going to be talking about income, how to maximize the amount of income and, you know, the mistakes that docs make and, you know, how not negotiating can have some long-term effects. Yeah. So yeah. let's we're jump right into it. also going to be talking about, um, I think... We should also cover income in terms of not diversifying your income, you know, and really looking at the fact that, yes, you are trading time for dollars, but you literally only have one stream of income. Yeah, man. It's, um, there's a lot. There's a lot. So listen, I always encourage everybody, listen, text us at 833-230-2860. Remember, when you text us, that comes directly to our phones. If you agree with us, that's great. If you don't agree with us, that's all right. It's all good. You're but a hater, as Bomani Jones likes to say. I know, right? If- <laughs> <laughs> also, don't forget, you can leave us a message at drnewdarko.com. So awesome. go ahead and leave us a message, um, and we will get back to you as well. So if that's easier for you, go ahead and do that. Yeah. So listen, medical students, residents, early attendings, I want you guys to know that there is such a thing called trading time for dollars. What that means is you walk into a hospital, and if you walk into that hospital, you are going to get paid, right? We are in the 1%. Now, we may be in the bottom of the 1%, but we are definitely <laughs> in the 1%. We are, we are in the, where are we? We in the 1.9% or something? <laughs> yeah, we like in the 0.9%, basically, of the 1%. 0.99, we at the bottom, right? But we still are in the 1%. And, you know, it's important for people to understand that when you go to work, that's how you get paid. And it's a very stressful job, right? On average, doctors work more hours or many more hours than any other profession out there. And as a result, we get compensated very well for it. I remember there was a study that came out years ago that showed like the the best income that gives you 
the best combination of income as well as the ability to enjoy that income was somewhere like in the $75,000 range. Mm. Because anything else, anything more than that, you're going to be expected to do way more. You're going to be expected to give up weekends. You're going to be expected to do so many more things that you really aren't enjoying how you got that income or what that income can bring you. Anything less than 75, obviously, you're struggling way more. And definitely like right now with inflation and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's... So I, I just think about that study and I think that there, I wonder if there's a sweet spot, if if doctors are mm. willing to say that there's a sweet spot where this amount of income is the perfect amount that pays for being able to see patients, being able to deal with all the stuff that, you know, you would expect a physician right. to deal with. And also at the same time, enjoy the life um, that you've kind of always wanted to enjoy. One million dollars. That's what they're going to say. Yeah, they would That's say that. That's a sweet spot. But... <laughs> You know, look, but in today's world, I mean, $1 million is going to be a lot of, there's a lot of expectations. Yeah. Right? It's like a basketball player or anybody in sports getting an exorbitant amount of money Mm -hmm. and being paid so much more than the rest of your peers. It's like, okay, well, not only are you getting paid way more than your peers, there's a lot more expectations. Mm -hmm. Fans are always going to expect you to, you know, produce. They're going to expect you to bring a championship. The media is always going to be constantly focusing on you. When you don't show up, when you have an off day, people are going to be like, wait, man, like what's, it's just, are you really ready for that? The more money we come, I'll be puffy. You be, you be uh, biggie. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But it's the truth. It's the truth, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, you know, to what is it? To whom much is given, much is expected. Absolutely. So it's, right? it's the truth. I mean, but this is a, this is a, this is what this boils down to is yes, we, I start off by saying trading time for dollars that we have to be really careful about, mm-hmm. right? But it's really defining what active income is versus what is passive income. Right. So for the folks listening, active right. income is. It's basically income that you make from your job that you personally have to manage. You personally have to you have to show up, show up for right. Mm-hmm. And I know people may be listening and are like, "Well, what's so bad about that? If I make a lot of money, or if I make, you know, if I'm in the one percent, what's the big deal about that?" Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that income is good, but it's taxed at the highest rate, right? And the largest profession in this group, surprise, are physicians. Right, right. Whereas, and that's typically typically employed, typically employed as opposed to independent contracting. Right, that's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. But you could be an independent contractor and not know how to, you know, do the tax code. Also, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully you do. But you know, if you understand the tax code, then you can make it work on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Now, passive income, where we always hear people talk about passive income, what is that? It's earnings that are derived from, say, a rental property. You own a piece of property. Someone is paying you rent. You're not working for that money, so to speak. You own something. People want to use it, and they pay you, right? right? Or you make income from some type of business, some type of LLC, some type of situation where you're not actively involved in making that money. And right. the reason or why people— Or at least, at least you're not as— active. So sometimes, you know, part of the reason I'm kind of interrupting here is because sometimes people say, well, passive income isn't really passive, but it really is because you do the work up front and then you let the product or the service do the rest of the work for you. So if you make like a course, right, an online course, yeah, you put in some work to do that course, but once the course is done, then 
pretty much the course, you know, the the amount that you're getting paid for the course is doesn't nearly equate to the amount of time that you're continually putting in for the course in order to make it work. Yeah, if you market that course really well and, mm-hmm. you know, five people buy it one day, then the next day, a hundred people buy it the next, the day after mm-hmm. that, then 2000 people buy it after that. Yeah. Like you're making significant amount of money off of that one initial output of energy. Right. Right. And the reason why people love this is the IRS looks at it differently. It's actually taxed at a lower tax rate oftentimes. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. why passive income is really a big deal. And yes, like we, you know, some people will say, well, dude, like I got into this to take care of people. I didn't get take, I didn't get into this to, you know, I didn't get into this to have passive income. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's a very, I'm not gonna lie. I think that's a very noble way of looking at things, mm-hmm. but I also think that's a very naive way of looking at things. Right. Right. I just, I, I just remember some of my attendings at Grady saying, are you sure you want to go into trauma? Are you really sure? Because at the time I was in my, you know, late twenties, early thirties. And I was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Are you sure you want to do trauma when you're in your fifties? Are you sure you want to do trauma when you're in your sixties? Hell yeah. Gang, gang. Of course I want to do this. Right. <laughs> trauma life, trauma life. Yes. About that life. And then you start about to think action. about things. You start to get into, I started getting into my mid thirties and you know, now I'm in my early forties and I'm like, yo, tired. Dude, I'm tired. Like I definitely am not into taking 24 hour call as a, as a matter of fact, I refuse to take 24 hour call. Right. But I remember in residency, I remember early on in my career, I would do that all the time when we were trying to pay off debt, work those 24 hour shifts. And then yep. maybe afterwards do an appy, you know, an hour, 25, 26, 27, 36 that shit <laughs> catches up to y'all. Come to it catches up to you, y'all. I am telling you, it catches up to you. And after a while, it's like, yo, you gotta pace yourself. You gotta yep. determine that there's only like there's only so much you can do, right? And just because you can see that many people, as much people as you think you can see, does that mean you're being as efficient as possible? Are you providing really mm-hmm. good care to that patient? If you're seeing like, you know, a significant amount, like 40 people, 50 people in a day, how are you even writing notes at the end of the day? Yeah, you well, you are. You writing notes at home. You writing notes over the weekend. You writing no, you know, notes on your vacation. Um, I think it was uh, what's his name? Is it Peter Gonzalez, the one that does the the cartoons? I think so. Yeah. Right. So I think it is. But um, Dr. Peter, I forget what his pseudonym is, but he, <laughs> I saw one of his cartoons today actually, and. He, I think he put something about a doctor being on vacation. And as you keep swiping, it's on Instagram. As you keep swiping, you see the doctor typing away. And he's like, as soon as I finish these, uh, finish addressing these 150 charts, then I can spend time with my family. (laughs) And it's like, is that what your vacation has become? Your vacation has become you worrying about what's at work. You might as well have just stayed at work. You know? I, think, I think I think a lot of people will look at that as an exaggeration and be like, of course, I'm not going to be writing notes on vacation. Um, the, the point, I, the hold on, let me finish my point. The point go, is, go. is that you're doing work during time when you are not supposed to be working. It's the same thing. There's no difference than when you come home and you're supposed to be making dinner or you're eating dinner with your kids and you're checking your notes, you're writing notes, you know, before you get into work or you're writing notes after you get home from work. It's the same thing. Either way, it's your time. So whether you're on vacation right. or you're in the kitchen or whatever it is, you're doing something that you really should be doing in the hospital. I would like for doctors to, for any doctors out there or residents, 
out there to let us know, have you done your notes while on vacation? I think that that's... I think they have. I think multiple people have. Right before you get on a plane, they're doing notes. I think they're doing it on the beach. As they land. I think they're doing it on the beach. I think they're doing it at the beach house. I think they're doing... I really, they're doing it at the ski lodge. Hey, text us at 833-230-2860. Let us know. Jamar, what you doing? When you doing when <laughs> I'm going to call Jamar you out. Can, you, you cannot re- rely Dr. on Annie. Jamar. Jamar going to carry the whole show. Dr. Annie, when are you writing your notes? Week. For the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> when are you guys writing your notes? Tell us, tell us, tell us. Yo. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think that, again, like you, you know, kind of like you mentioned, um, just having that income tied to your time and then having that one income, right? Because it's usually salaried, okay? Now let's talk about being tied to your to your time and then it being salaried, right? It being salaried means that you're actually making less than what you should be making considering the amount of time that you're putting in. Right. Oh yeah, the it's the salary. same thing. It's the same thing as residents. When residents say they get paid a certain type of labor, I'm not going to say that word. A certain type of labor because you know they're bringing in an average of like fifty thousand dollars, but they're working like eighty, yeah, eighty hours, right, a Quote week, unquote. right. <laughs> if you divide all of that out, if you take those hours and divide it into the, your salary, it's like worse than minimum wage, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's the thing that I think. A lot of times we don't realize, right, when we're getting when we're getting these emails and the subject line is like, make, you know, gobs and gobs of money, however gobs and gobs of money you think, you know, whatever that big number you think it is, you know, like be a pediatrician and and make five hundred thousand dollars, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, great. But you don't realize like that five hundred thousand dollars. It, you know, you're not just going to get $500,000 for working at an FQAC. You know what I'm saying? So like, when you were in residency, did you think about this? Because you were doing, you did a lot of night call. Um, you guys had like a night shift. What, yeah, what we had that? night shift. You had like a night float plan. Yeah, we had night float. We had 24-hour call also. So when you were like in residency, did you ever say, or did anybody ever ask you like, can you see yourself doing this in 10, 20 years? The same oh, I way? knew I, I, I couldn't do it then. Mm. <laughs> You know me. I mean, since I was young, my brother always jokes about how I love my sleep. Like, we could be up, joking, laughing, everybody at the party. Next you know, everybody's like, where's Nene? And they're like, oh, she went to bed. Like, nighttime, like, that's just, you know, that's just not my thing, right? Well, but, so- but most people don't want to work night shift. I get that. But what I'm talking about is even doing what you're doing mm-hmm. into year... 15, 20, when you're in your 50s and 60s, that's waking up and delivering those babies. That's I mean, tough. it's it's a lot. Like now I work the night shift, but that's a strategic thing for me to be able to, you know, to be able to work as much as I want to work, which is a 12-hour shift. But also because of the way that I work, you know, doing the weekends, I want to be able to come home to my family on you know, day number four. Okay, so, so hold on. Be- before we move on, then let's let's dig into that deeper. So, mm-hmm. the all of the doctors, for the most part, at your job, they do twenty four hour shifts. Yes. So you were asked, or you were, were you given the option to do a twelve hour shift? How did that work out? Where you wanted to, tw- where you ended up working twelve hour shifts versus? So when 24? I first started working this job, um, I was doing twenty four hour shifts, and then I realized 
because I only work weekends, what was happening was that at the end of my weekend stint, that I was too tired to drive home. And so that actually created a situation where I spent yet another day away from my kids. So you would and work, I, you would come in the night on Thursday mm-hmm. night and then you would work 24 hours on Friday. Yep. You'd have Saturday off and you yep. weren't, you weren't being paid at all for Saturday, right? No. You're in a hotel sleeping, recovering, mm-hmm. and then you would work Sunday for 24 hours. Yep. And then you were- I was so tired on Monday. It was hard for me to drive home. Or I would drive home really, really late. And by that time, either the kids were asleep or I'd just come home Tuesday morning. Not, and to, I was mention, like, Wait not a to mention your hotel room probably ended on a Monday morning at 11. Right. Well, I would make them pay for it because I, yeah, I would make them pay for it because if I'm that tired because I was working for you, then you have to pay for me to sleep so that I can drive home. Okay. So I would make them pay for that. But if you realize what you said was, I would leave on Thursday, right? Usually Thursday afternoon slash evening. I wouldn't be home until either late Monday night or Tuesday morning. And I'm like, wait. No dinner made, nothing made. The fridge is bare when you bounce. (laughs) Y'all ain't got nothing. We ain't got nothing. And I was like, wait a minute. This was all literally for two days of work? Like, I'm I'm just missing too much, right? So Thursday to Tuesday, and I'm missing, like, how many days with my kids for just two days of work because of a 24-hour shift. So what I realized was, well, I could work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and do 12-hour shifts and then be home by like Monday afternoon at a decent time. I wouldn't have to leave on Thursday. I could literally leave on Friday afternoon after my kids come home from school and I could be home on Monday before they come back from school and be able to make dinner and do all of that. And it's a little bit more efficient for you. It's a little bit. So basically you work a Friday night, a Saturday night and a Sunday night, and then Mm -hmm. you come home Monday when you're rested. Um, And when you're off, you're not, you're not being paid for backup. You're not on backup whatsoever. So you ended up making things way more efficient for you, for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not getting decision fatigue because you're on hour 17 hour 19, hour 21 on exactly. the decisions you need to make on a patient. You get to sleep, you get a mm-hmm. good something to eat, you get to recover, and then you yep. get to come home. Exactly. Now, people listening to this might say, yeah, but if you worked a full Friday and a full Sunday, you were, you know, you were getting paid for 48 hours. Correct. And now you're That was only initially paid- what I was thinking. I was like, you better get that 48-hour pay. Right. Exactly. And so now you're only getting paid for 36 hours because you're working three 12-hour shifts. That is correct. But for my sanity and for the convenience of being home with my family on those days that I was missing out, which I wasn't getting paid for, then it was worth it for me to be like, well, no, it's better for me to get the 36-hour than the 48-hour. And that's the mistake that we make with income, right? We think... Well, if we make more money, then the situation is better. And in this case, the situation was not better. It was much worse. And so that's the thing that we need to think about when we're talking about negotiating. You need to negotiate in a way that actually fits your lifestyle. Don't commit to stuff that you know you don't want to commit to in the long term. And now, so, now, 
Go ahead. Go ahead, please. No. So I was going to say that, you know, I wasn't offered to do 24 hours. I was actually offered to do or excuse me, I wasn't offered to do 12 hours. I was actually offered to do 24 hours. But I said, you know, listen, this is my situation. I explained to them exactly what I just explained to you guys. And I said, this works better for my lifestyle. So if you can't accommodate 12 hours, I get that. And, you know, we can part ways. But if you can, I'm more than willing, you know, to to come onto the schedule. And I've been 12 hours for like, what, the last almost two years now. So you made an ask because the worst that they could say is no. Right. And so I don't even say that it's an ask, right? Like, I think we need to get the word ask out of like negotiating contracts, Mm -hmm. right? Because asking, asking makes it seem like somebody has an authority over you, right? And so for me, it's not an ask. It's here are my conditions. Just like the hospital has conditions, it's a contract, right? I got to be, I, I have to be satisfied with this contract and so do they. So it's not an ask. It's here, here, it's a presentation of my conditions and then they present their conditions and then we see, we see whether or not we can meet in the middle. And if, you know, if it works, if my conditions work for them, great. If their conditions work for me, great. But it's not an ask. And I think we need to, as especially as doctors get out of the mode of saying that we're asking for something. Cause I, I don't ask for anything. I just say, this is what I need in order for this to work. I love it. So let's talk about when you were looking at this job before you even got to that point of 24 hours versus 12 hours. I remember you negotiated on your own, mm-hmm. but at this point we had already used a lawyer to negotiate on our behalf. Why'd you negotiate this per diem contract on your own? Right. Mm -hmm. And talk to us about that process. So part of the reason that I negotiated it on my own um, was one, I wanted to see if I could do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. That that was one of the things that I I just wanted to see. Could I do it? Um, Number two, after having had, you know, a lawyer look at other contracts that we, you know, that we had negotiated um, in the past, I was, you know, I felt a little more comfortable um, with the fact that okay, you know, this negotiation went well, the way that we approached it um, with our attorney, you know, I started thinking, you know, I started thinking that, um, you know, maybe this is something that, maybe this is a skill that we should get used to exercising, you know, because this is not going to be the first time and it's not going to be the last time that we're going to be negotiating something. And so, you know, the process for me, was very similar to what we went through with our lawyer, except I wasn't using a third party. And so in preparation for the things that I was going to present as my conditions, you know, I I wrote everything out, you know, and the fact that it was per diem, um, I was getting no benefits. I pretty much was, it's like a locums contract, except it's W-2, right? And again, we talked about this on a previous show, I took that condition because at the time, the convenience of being able to work at that place and be able to, you know, travel back and forth. Yeah, it's um, only like for, an hour and a half away yeah, from home. So, yeah, it was yeah. a short, you know, it was a short, um, short travel distance. So I said, OK, you know what? The tax benefits would be great, but they don't outweigh the benefit of being able to travel a short distance, be able to have this flexibility, be able to be home with my son. So 
I, I made some trade-offs. Um, but in the end, you know, the, the, the negotiation for the rate um, was something I really wanted to see whether or not I could do on my own because I felt like, you know, th- I'm, I bring a certain amount of value. Um, and so I wanted that value to be recognized. And so, you know, they came in with a pretty low, low offer. Um, and so I countered and, you know, explained to them why I was countering, you know, the, the way that I was and they accepted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't present your conditions, if you don't present what you want, you will never get it. Right. Because right. nobody's so, just going to give you something like, oh, I think you bring so much value. Let me give you a million dollars. It's like, no, they're not going to do that. They're always going to. Well, I, uh, but, you. but also remember that when you before you went, you did some research and found out what the numbers are and what the average mm-hmm. numbers are. And then you made some small little bumps and so forth. And when they accepted your offer, I was actually I was shocked. I was like, uh, I don't know if they're going to give you that. But they mm-hmm. ended up giving they ended up we ended up compromising at a point at a point that you felt very comfortable at. Mm-hmm. And um, do you want to let people know what your pay rate is? Do I? Yeah. Do you? It's up to you. So I don't mind sharing my pay rate, um, except that I will tell you this. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to ask you that question, did you? Ah! <laughs> except that. Um, I find that when we share our pay rate, especially as locums, per diem, docs. The, the problem is actually other docs, right? Employ, other employed docs, um, as well as other contracted docs, right? And so here's, herein lies the problem. When you share rates, when you share rates, what happens is people ra- either rally against that or negotiate against that, right? So for example... If you share your rate, you know, with an employee doc, all of a sudden they're like, wait, what? How you how do you make that much money per hour? Right? Because then they start to realize, they start to do the math of their own of their own salary and how much they're getting paid per hour, which we figured out at least for residents is less than minimum wage. Now, if you are a full-fledged attending and you make, I don't know, let's say four hundred thousand dollars a year. But you're working, you know, 120 hours plus a week, you start to realize that, wait a minute, not only am I working that much per week, but even on my quote unquote time off, okay, I'm technically still working. Whereas this locum doc or this per diem doc, they walk away and they never, like, they're not getting paid. Because they're not actually working, whereas I'm not getting paid and I'm still working. And so they start to rally against that, which is the whole thing about a lot of employed docs not jumping on board with locums, right? Like not seeing the value in locums. Um, You might see that also with locums docs is that they will actually bid against that, meaning they will bid lower, Right, they will be so that lower they can, so they can secure, so that they can get 
a longer right. period of time. Um, exactly. What's his name talked about that? Trevor Cabrera talked about yes. that. He took a lower amount so that he could fit in and become the preferred doctor or contractor for, you know, a said hospital. I don't know if you heard me on that one. I, yeah. At that point, I was like, mm, I'm not really cool with that because I, yeah. I look at this almost like sports. Right, mm-hmm. like it's completely unheard of, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, to hear baseball. Excuse me, to hear players really um, negotiate against other players. As a matter right. of fact, they use each player's salary as like this. They're they're amazed by it because they know that mm-hmm. you know if LeBron James or sorry if Steph Curry gets a certain amount, then LeBron James knows. Well, I'm I'm better than him, so that's great. He got that amount. As a matter of fact, when when Steph Curry years ago signed his contract, I think it was like for like $250 million, mm-hmm. LeBron James tweeted out a message that said, congratulations on this great contract, but just know that you're worth more. Right. Which is true, right? Right. The, the, the creme de la creme in the NBA, they bring so many eyes to the screen that what mm-hmm. they're getting paid, whether it's a $30 million, $40 million contract, they're actually underpaid. underpaid. And I can't say that for like the middle... Of, yeah. of NBA players, yeah. but the creme de la creme, because the way how basketball works is different. But even in NFL, even in the in Major League Baseball, it's very rare that you'll see player A get a really great contract and then player B snipe and say, well, why did he get that? I should have got right. this. It's almost like, bet, you got that, so now it's time for my raise. Yeah. And I think what you're basically saying is, is that rather than us look at it as, okay, locums, Doc A comes in at a certain rate, Rather than just say, oh, man, I need to say I should get a raise past that point. Mm-hmm. They just say, well, let me undercut that 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 doctor and basically devalue your time right. as well as devalue how much you're getting paid, right? Because right. you you kind of make things work in the way how you make things work for you. Mm-hmm. And if someone is like, yeah, I want to get how much – I want to get paid how much they're getting paid. But then in order for that other doctor to get paid, they take more call or right. they do exactly. more things. They, in essence, are making making your contract worth way less than what mm-hmm. it was before. Right. And not only are they doing that, but they, you know, in a sense, in a sense, they are contributing to their own burnout, right? <laughs> because if you're employed and you're getting a certain salary, now you want to potentially take more call, know that whatever rate that you're going to, to get— you're probably not going to you're probably not going to get what you actually deserve. Right. Speaking you know, of, even speaking even if it's the same rate as the locum stock, right? Because the locum stock, remember, the locum stock gets paid for when they are working. Okay? So even if you get paid for that extra call, what you're not getting paid for is that original Right? right, that original right. work that you're doing. I get you. I just don't want to lose people too much because sometimes right. we get too right. far into the woods. Yeah. People just it goes over people's eyes. Yeah. So you mentioned burnout, and mm-hmm. you know the Meta- Medscape put out a study in 2022 that studied, or at least got the surveys of doctors, and actually burnout among physicians is the highest that it's been ever. Right. So burnout mm-hmm. among physicians. Now, granted, COVID had a lot to do with this. Right. But burnout sure. among physicians is up to 47 percent. Guess which two specialties were the highest? Brrr, drum roll, please. Right? Number one is ER. Right. Not surprised. And then right. number two was critical care. Mm-hmm. Now, last year it was critical care for obvious reasons. Right. right. For COVID, COVID and yep. so forth. But when you look at the percentages of physicians who are burnt out, 60% say it's due to bureaucracy in the hospital. Oh, I'm sure. 
right? 60% say that. 39% say lack of respect from administrators and colleagues. 34% say- Which goes along along with bureaucracy, I think. Yeah. 34% Mm -hmm. say long hours. Yeah. Which goes along with bureaucracy. All of those literally are just trickle down from bureaucracy. And 34% say it's due to their personality- or maybe even family traits, right? Mm. So that's still a that's a thir- that's a significant amount, right? That's so, almost half of doctors, you right. know, being burnt out. Forty seven percent. That's for a me, lot. For me, I look at this almost like I like to, you know me, I love sports. So I always look at the parallels between being a physician, being a professional, and what we do and what we see in sports. And I would have to say, like ER doc, critical care docs, it's almost like being a running back in football, right? Mm-hmm. Like the it was once the preeminent position in football, but you take a lot of hits. Yeah. And you take a lot of hits, you get the ball a lot, you get a lot of the praise. This is years ago, right? Football has changed now. But years ago, the running back was the creme de la creme, was the preeminent position. But they take a lot of hits. They get a mm-hmm. lot of injuries. They get paid the most at one point. But they also have shorter NFL careers, right? right. Because they have these more significant injuries. They get hit more and so forth. So if you look at like ER and critical care, yeah, like it's a huge yeah. risk. They take a lot of hits. <laughs> the stre- yeah, you're right. The stress is high. They get paid well, but how long are they going to last? Yeah. And this is why it's, you know, we bring it back to making sure that you're getting paid, you know, commensurate to the work that you're doing. You are negotiating and doing the things that you need to do to make sure right. that you are getting paid um, based off of the value that you're bringing mm-hmm. to a hospital. Okay, so now, you know, we're talking about getting the most value that you, getting the most amount for the value that you bring. Um, and it's funny, I'm, I'm thinking about the orthopedic surgeons who are hating on me for getting on them about not being able to replace <laughs> potassium and so forth. But, um, you know, I think that working with locums companies, you, you got to be really smart about what you're asking. It's very important that you're using some of these skills where you're presenting your rates to these right. companies. Um you know, and that's why we we like, you know, there's a lot of different companies out there, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that being able to work with a company that not only the physicians are happy with, but also hospitals and practices are happy with, right. I, I think that's important. And um, that's what we're rocking with St. John and their healthcare mission, right? Yeah. And we're rocking Saint with John what they're doing, working specifically with orthopedic surgeons. So orthos, don't think we don't represent, we don't think about y'all, <laughs> you know? We we think about you guys a lot and stuff and you guys do great work. Um, but there is a, a locums company that is, you know, directly looking at you all and that's called St. John's Associates. So Yeah, St. John's Associates um, basically is a staffing company. Um, they've been around for, they've actually been around for a pretty long time. Um, I think about 30 years or so. Um, and so, you know, they they have longstanding, like longstanding relationships with a lot of their hospital clients. You know, about 30 um, years. Yeah, about 30 yeah. years. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty reputable, um, you know. And so I think that one of the things that we talked about in a previous episode is, again, when we're, when we're talking specifically about income, right, we... It's very important that when you work with a staffing company, that your CV is not shopped around town without your knowledge, because that also does influence or does impact 
your income. Because if you go to, for example, Hospital A and they say, oh, well, you know, you've been presented oh, by that this happened particular. To me. That oh, has yeah. happened to me. So Absolutely. that has happened to me where I went to a local, I, I signed up with multiple locums companies, mm-hmm. a representative from one of the locums companies without my knowledge, took my CV and presented it to multiple hospitals. Yeah. When I was signing up with another locums company, they presented my CV to a hospital and they said that, well, we already have Dr. Darko's CV. He's already mm-hmm. been presented here. And I went yeah. through all of my emails with that previous locums company and I said, when did you guys present me? They said, well, we just... And I was like, nah, y'all can't, you can't do, do that. that. Right, because once you get presented by one hosp- by one locums company, no other locums company can present you. Right, so or staffing big, company in general. It's a big deal because yeah. if you negotiate, let's say locums company A, you know, says we're gonna pay you X amount of dollars, and then locums company B says, yo, we are gonna pay you, you know, X plus, you know, twenty two mm-hmm. amount of dollars. You're like, y'all want to go to locums B company, but it's like, nah, we can't send you. You can't to do five that because your yeah. CVs. That's a problem. Exactly. So they don't they don't do that with St. John. They don't do yeah, that. Yeah, St. So John like Associates that. doesn't That's what I'm do that. Yeah, St. John Associates doesn't do that. They ask for your permission, which is great because again, like you said, you know, if you're looking for and you know, we we mentioned locums but staffing companies in general, right? So even permanent positions, you need to be very careful with this. St. John Associates in particular is, you know, works mostly with permanent positions. So if you're ortho looking for a permanent position, this would be a great um, a great company for you to work with. But the fact is that if, you're, if your CV is not being shopped around town without your knowledge, then that gives you more opportunity to be able to negotiate um, a good rate, you know, or a good salary for and yourself. Is, isn't this, this is the company that has uh, a bunch of women, right? This is women led, right? Yeah, this is a, yeah, this is woman owned, pretty much woman led mm-hmm. company for the last 30 years. Look at that, y'all. Look at that, y'all. <laughs> well, anyway, listen, let, let people find out more about it. Let's, Pull up. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's send them to stjohnjobs.com forward slash docs. Once again, that's stjohnjobs.com forward slash docs. Once again, Saint, that's S T J O H N jobs.com forward slash docs. Yep, it'll be in show um, notes. Yeah. So listen, let's let's um let's talk about something that I really I thought I was going to start the show off with. It, it kind of mm-hmm. had me heated. Um, so you know, we're trying to expand the reach or the message of Docs outside the box. And uh, there's this one academic conference that we want to attend. We made it. We went and did the work of looking up how to create a talk, a presentation at this mm-hmm. academic work. Um, you know, conference. And um, you went ahead and did the research. You came up with a talk about how physicians get paid, about how they handle their finances, and basically the lack of education that doctors get, whether they are in schooling or they're in training as residents. And as a result, there are some major decisions that are made in terms of what geographical position they're going to be in, what specialty they're going to go into. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff is all dictated by money, which ultimately, you know, we all take the Hippocratic Oath or some form or fashion of it. And, you know, the majority of our decisions are based on finances. That's the problem. <laughs> so long story short, you know, we got our talk accepted. We said that we we're going to team up with some really big name, well-known, well-established uh, other doctors who are in the personal finance world. I'm mm-hmm. not going to mention them right now, but we had some heavy hitters. It got accepted. Yep. And then what pissed me off is that, you know, it didn't piss me off, but I think 
at first I it was, was thinking it was par for the course. Well, considering let's, let's talk about what happened. So we yeah. we ended up finding out after everybody who we wanted to come to this uh, meeting, they said, yeah, we're going to come along. We got it accepted, which was mm-hmm. great. But now we've just found out that they're not going to pay for flight. They're not going to pay for any registration. They're not going to pay for hotel. So we're just going to go there. We're just going to go there on our own dime and just present this and see how it goes. Well, the majority of the other folks that we had decided to step away. All of them. Well, they all bounced. And I don't blame them. Actually, Mm -hmm. I applaud them. And one of them said, well, listen, like, this is a topic that all doctors need to hear about. This is a topic that that academic institution really needs to be, um, that needs to put this front and center. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're not going to pay, right? Just even, even if it was a dollar it cost, just the notion that they weren't going to provide any type of assistance whatsoever shows that, yeah. that you know, they undervalue what we bring to the table as physicians, right. Um, and it basically goes in direct contradiction to what this topic is going to be about. Exactly. And that doctor just said, I'm out. Right. And I was like, yo, mad props to you. That makes a lot of sense. You know what right. I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, looking at the proposal that we wrote, <laughs> I mean, I just don't understand. Well, I do you, understand. That proposal was dope. That was a great proposal and to yeah. the point where they accepted it. Yeah. And... There's never been a topic like that. I looked at previous years. There's never been that topic of personal finance um, at all. No money talks at all um, for that conference in the past. Um, And so, you know, the fact that, I mean, just the irony of the topic and the fact that they were not going to pay for me is just like, man, this is par for the course, right? This This is what academic institutions often do right they either well, to, and but to be honest to, remember i to, asked to you to some too, extent well remember i asked you i was like well are they gonna pay because i remember i i didn't think that they were gonna pay and i was like oh it's still good but mm-hmm. you know oftentimes what my expectations are doesn't match with you know either way with reality <laughs> right it, you know i was i wasn't thinking but it, it thinking was like they actually should pay something but go ahead yeah no i mean i think yeah absolutely they should they should pay something but I think academic institutions, they put value to, to, to certain things and other things they don't put value to, right? And the problem is that as physicians, we often think that if we're teaching, that we should be teaching for free or we should be teaching for a very undervalued, you know, um, a very undervalued worth value or whatever it is, right? So... You know, when we see that academic institutions pay big name speakers, right? They would never ask Oprah to come out and talk and speak for free. They wouldn't even ask Dr. Oz to come out and speak for free, right? Because he has transcended the, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a doctor now. Now he's a television, blah, 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 right? But as a physician... Senate candidate. Yeah, Senate candidate. As a physician... Um, as an attending, as a faculty member, you're always expected to come and speak for free or some r- really, really low amount of money. Okay. Because academic institutions be will tell you commu- that they don't have a committee, a, do a right. committee for free. Or, right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Join this committee, join this board. Well, boards are a little bit different, but, 
you know, those things, those types of things they expect you to do for free. But the problem is that as physicians, we have accepted that. We have accepted that you should come and teach for free. You should come and do a presentation for free. You should come and do this talk for free. And so I would not be surprised if, you know, we told this story to other physicians and they said, well, why would you ever expect to get paid? Like, you know, you're giving a talk. It's an academic institution. You shouldn't expect to get paid. Right. Yeah, right? I, yeah I think that's a major. And I think that, I think when we, I think when anybody who's listening to the show, I think the majority of people listening to the show, well, it's different. The people listening to the yeah, show are on are a different a path, different. Yeah. on a different trajectory. But I think if you were to li- yeah. put this on an academic podcast or put this in front of academic people, they would say, what the, what the hell are you guys thinking? thinking? Right. What would you expect? Right. You know? Exactly. And we're not saying that we're shocked. We're just saying that our expectation is, mm-hmm. is that we need to get... Whatever it is, there has to be something that's going to be worth our time. So as a matter of fact, we're actually responding back and saying, hey, academic institution, academic conference, we offer to do this in this way because Mm -hmm. not only will it benefit your conference members or the people who come, it would also benefit us in this Mm -hmm. way, in this fashion. And if they don't go for it, then they don't go for it and, you know, we move on. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I are a little bit different in terms of... Um, you know, the other panels or the other panelists um, that, that you know, that bowed out. Um, we have other options on the table to be able to still go to this conference. But again, we present our conditions and, you know, if the conditions are accepted, then great. We, we can go to the conference and we can present. If the conditions are not accepted for this, you know, for this academic institution, then, this, you know, it, it was boiling. Then it my, didn't work out. It, I was a little upset about it. And, um, but after a while, I just, I got in and it's just like, wow. But well, it lets you know, it lets you know, guys, you know, like it, but I was really, I was actually really proud about what that doctor wrote. I was like, that was, that was great. Very effective, short email and straight to the point. And I was like, done, that's it. And move on. Right. You know? Exactly. So exactly. Let, let me, let, let's, let's jump really into how not negotiating or working for less than your worth. Mm-hmm. Right, less than the value that you bring. That's the better word to bring to use. Right. Working less than the value that you think you should be getting, what that does for you. So, mm-hmm. there is a study that I talked about with a we uh, about a week ago, two weeks ago. We put out a discussion with one of the recruiters from Provider Solutions and Development. We talked about how female physicians earn an estimated two million dollars less than male physicians over a simulated Mm -hmm. forty-year career. That's a study that came out by Health Affairs. We were talking about the the man woman income gap that occurs in healthcare, but obviously, you know, that was episode two ninety-three. Right, the way in Mm -hmm. which we treat women, just in general, you know, you know, a lot of people say like the way how you show you respect someone is how you pay them. Right. Mm -hmm. So just Mm -hmm. in general, surprise, we don't respect women in many facets of the workforce and (laughs) healthcare happens to be one of them. So this study showed that basically there are gender differences in how we pay. Right. And Mm -hmm. if you simulate this career over 40 years, it comes out to two million dollars. Right. Which is significant. That is a significant amount. That is like retiring at the age of 70 as opposed to retiring at the age of maybe 55 or 60 or, you know, whatever you may want to think about it. It, Think about how that that's generational wealth for certain people. Right. 
Um, so what they ended up finding in this study, if you go into deeper, it says that there are gender differences were largest in the surgical specialties. Oh, I'm not right. surprised at all. Whereas in the primary care field, you know, you didn't really see too much of a difference. There mm-hmm. are some differences there, but it wasn't statistically significant. Where you saw the biggest difference was in surgical specialties, which makes sense, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you adjust it for hours worked, clinical revenue, practice type, and specialty, that's the results that they came up with. Now, the biggest point, the big point that they came up with is, you know, over time, you know, there may be a little bit of a decrease in the difference of men and women, right? So what I mean by that is if Some you have, your mic, if you, like I was getting far away, before. my bad, my bad. And let me not forget how to pod. <laughs> if you have Dr. A, who's a man, Dr. You know, B, who's a woman, right? Like if you catch them mid-career and then you take it always to the end, you'll see like a, a decrease in the salary gap, right? Right. But the biggest point of what I'm trying to say is when they got their initial salary, that's mm. where the biggest gap was. Right. Right. And that's why in that episode, you know, I had mentioned like women, when you first start working, this is when you're supposed to. Right. This is when you're supposed to swing for the fences. Yeah. This is when you're not supposed to be meek. This is when you're supposed to go for it. And, you know, the other thing. Think about the number of years that go by before you get to that end where you actually don't have as much of a difference anymore. How many years have you been working such that. You had so much of a difference that you were missing out on all of this money. Oh, yeah. It, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this study right here, this one focused on community physicians, right? Mm-hmm, Whereas there was mm-hmm. a study by the AAMC that focused on uh, physicians who were in academic medicine. I'll right. get to that in a second. But you want to tell a story of one of your partners who was getting paid less oh, yeah. than, yeah. One, than so, a new partner who got brought on? Yeah. So a previous partner of mine um, was chair of the department, female physician, um, and, you know, had so many different, you know, so so many years of experience, um, at least 30 years of experience. Um, she was chair of the department, like I said, but we got a new physician that came in maybe about the same years of experience as, as she had. Um, he was new to the hospital and she found out that he was making $50,000 more than she was. Um, <laughs> and not only that, like he was somebody who hadn't actually done OB in quite a number of years. So he hadn't done full scope OBGYN in quite a number of years. And in all of her career, she never stopped doing full scope OBGYN. But he was also, you know, he was making $50,000 more than she was. And he was not the chair of the department. He did not come in with any other title other than new OBGYN on the block. Um, so, you know, when she found that out, she was just like, oh my gosh. I'm like, well, you got to negotiate. You need to go in and tell these people that, listen, we can't be do- doing, you know, we can't be having this guy come in. I'm chair of the department. I'm doing full scope OBGYN. I've been doing it for however many years, and he's making so much more money than me. Well, now the, I need to be making well, as well, much let me as ask him, you the question. if not more. The first time she told you about this was her. What was what was what she was saying? What did she say she was going to do before you mentioned negotiate? Did she say she was going to go negotiate? Did she say that she was no. going to bring it up? I'm very interested in. in no, in, there. She no. She just said she found out. Okay. So she you just brought up the whole negotiate out. thing. 
So, yeah, I brought up to her, you know, negotiating and, you know, and I don't know if that had already been in her mind. But for me, that was that was my immediate reaction. Right. Was that you need to negotiate that like that's, you know, that that's off the rails. Like, that's not acceptable. What'd she end up doing? She did end up negotiating and she did end up, you know, getting that that raise. It took some time, though. It took some time. It took months before they would entertain it or before they would actually, you know, implement that change. And so, you know, even during those months, she still was not making that money. You know what I mean? Mm. And so, you know, I, mean, I we see this all the time. I, um, so let's start off by just saying, so that, first of all, just because someone is a chairman in your part, in your department, folks, that doesn't mean they know how much they're getting paid in comparison to how Versus, much you're getting paid. Yeah. And I, over all the years that I've negotiated a contract, I've never had that discussion with someone who's the chairperson mm-hmm. or any physician, quote unquote, who wasn't in the C-suite. Right. So any of my colleagues, anybody who was considered to be, quote unquote, a supervisor uh, in my department, I've never talked to them about my contract. It's right. always been, hey, when are you jumping on the team? And um, when are you going to take call? And then that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. In terms of salary, that is always talked with someone who's in the C-suite. So the CEO or the chief operating officer, never with your chairperson. So I just want people to know that. And the reason why I bring that up is, I don't know if you guys remember Physician X, right? Physician X from, what, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Physician X was a physician who um, got an opportunity to be a director of a special of a specialty at a small hospital. Yeah. And she was at this facility and remember the big mistake that she made was she trusted what her chairperson said and she mm-hmm. trusted what, you know, the hospital said even though they didn't put it in paper and her lawyer re- re- you know reviewed everything, reviewed everything in the in the in the uh in her contract and then also was, you know, got a chance to review what a, the verbalized things that were said contract-wise, but just verbalized. They weren't actually in the contract. And the lawyer said, yeah, you shouldn't take this job. Right. And lo and behold, this doctor, Physician X, took the job anyway, and it ended up ruining her career, almost ruining Mm -hmm. her career. Right? Yeah, that was episode 170. 170? Okay, we Mm got to make sure we put a link to that. So episode 170, I want y'all to listen to that, folks. Yeah. That was Physician X, and this was a great episode, this resident, or excuse me, this physician was cold as a resident, amazing, did amazing work, was highly sought after, was given a special type of title. Um, But a lot of the things that she was promised was verbal instead of written in the contract. Mm -hmm. And she didn't listen to her lawyer and, you know, ended up coming back and like a boomerang smacking in the back of the head. And, you know, I remember one of the things that she said is, oh yeah, I negotiated with, I was talking to my chairperson about like the the salary and I was like, I don't think you should be doing that. Yeah, exactly. I don't think you should be doing that. You should not be talking to your chairperson about this stuff. But, you know, again, going back to, you know, what I talked about with, you know, basically revealing or disclosing your rates or your salary, um, you have to think about, well, if she was having that discussion with her chairperson, which actually was a a mentor of hers, then why did everything else pretty much go to hell, you know, despite the fact that she should have had somebody in her corner, right? 
So it's like, hold on a second. I'm giving you, I'm telling you all of this information. I'm giving you all this information. And yet I'm still getting screwed, right? And, you know, and there were a number of factors. You know, obviously she didn't listen to her her lawyer. That was, you know, that was one thing. But the fact that there were things that were talked about with her chairperson that, and her chairperson must have known, well, I don't see her contract, right? <laughs> like, I don't see her contract. So if you're talking about these things with your chairperson, but those things don't end up in the contract, then, you know, you just have to think about, again, like, why is well, it? Well, I, I think she expected, I think the chairperson was saying, well, they'll take care of you. They'll right, but that's but that's what yeah, I'm saying, right? But the the chairperson obviously was much more seasoned than she was, right? And so, come on, we all know, like this whole well, they'll take care of you, they'll take care of you. Listen, we all know that the hospital doesn't take care of you. That's not what happens, okay? Otherwise, people would not, doctors would not be complaining about all the stuff that they have to do. Because the, the the hospital doesn't take care of you, right? Well, I think I think that the hospital's point is to try to get as many patients taken care of exactly in the most, in the most economical way. Whereas that may not jive with you know you with what you want with your salary, mm-hmm. right? That means that you may not have much wiggle room, quote unquote. You may think with right. your salary. So real quick on this AAMC 2021 study, this one was put out by the AAMC, American Association of Medical Colleges, 2021, exploring faculty salary equity at U.S. medical schools by gender and race ethnicity. Mm. So this says that gender is the primary factor driving pay inequities. Mm. Men consistently made more than women of the same race and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. In most cases, white men received a higher median compensation than men of other races and definitely women of all races and ethnicities. Not surprising. And it showed that in this study, well, they compared this to a study that the AAMC put out in 2019. It says that women were paid, for every dollar that was paid to men, women were paid anywhere between 72 cents to 96 cents on the dollar. Yeah, not surprising. Right. This is not from us. This is not a docs outside the box study. This is from the double AMC. <laughs> right. right? When we got time to do a study, me. <laughs> right. So it's it's really interesting when you think about this, like women in general, like this pay gap that occurs, but then you have this study, you know, that everybody talked about, this study that said the comparison of hospital mortality and readmission rates for Medicare for Medicare patients treated by male versus female physicians. And they found it to be statistically significant that women end up having better better outcomes. Better outcomes than men mm-hmm. like this is something that women, I, if I was a woman I'd be printing this out taking this with me be like yo you need to pay me like this exactly. I want to get paid this I want to get paid this how much exactly come on we consistently get I mean you see this on OB very consistently like very consistently like I mean the anecdotes on you know in OB are just ridiculous you know and we consistently get not just patient satisfaction, right? This ain't about no press gainy. I'm talking about consistently better outcomes. Consistently better outcomes in, in, and including patient satisfaction. So, you know, patient satisfaction, I know we kind of poo-poo that, but remember, that's what keeps the patients, that's what keeps the patients coming back. <laughs> okay? That's what pe- keeps the patients coming back to the practice, to that hospital, 
Yeah, okay? it's different. It's different because, in trauma where like well, it's different in trauma. They ain't got for no sure. choice or emergency surgery. They ain't got no choice. Like, right. You they ain't see got me no today. choice. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. But in OB, that's a big thing. That's a huge thing. When you have women of reproductive age or women who aren't even reproducing anymore, but feel like you know they have a connection either with an institution or with a specific you know physician, that keeps them coming back. And so these are the things that as women, I feel like, you know, we need to, like you said, we need to be like, wait, my value is much higher than this because here's what I can bring to you. Here's here's what I can do for your facility, for your well, patients. So I agree with you there. So what we talk about and actually what happens in practice is two different things. Oh, I think, yeah. I think, you know. Just like investing, I think the same thing with negotiating. I think a lot of doctors, um, whatever you know, if whatever gender you are, may feel like, yo, that's just not my bag. I don't know how to do that. What do right. you do? And I think that my advice, and I think you would agree also, is is look, if you feel that like that's not your bag, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't negotiate. That mm -hmm. means that you need to get uh, someone who knows how to do this. Right. More often than not, this is a lawyer. Right. Right. And I think a lot of people are the first thing they think about with a lawyer is that's expensive. Right. But it's and, more expensive not to get a lawyer. You know, like the average lawyer to look at a contract, a medical contract, we're talking about anywhere between 350 bucks to maybe $2,000, mm -hmm. depending. And then if you think about how much money you're going to be making and how much money a really good lawyer can get you, we're talking about they're getting you back in multiples back of that of $600, that you yeah. know, initial output of money that you're paying them. Case in point, like you remember in my first contract, first hospital employee contract in there, it said that the hospital can take any money that I make mm -hmm. when I'm doing any type of clinical work outside of the hospital. Right. So let's say I'm working at this hospital and I decide to do locums at another hospital. Well, hospital A can be like, A, according to this contract, you know, all that money that you made at hospital B, C, D, wherever it is, yep. run me my money. I want my money. And I caught it and I was like, wait, this can't be correct. So I brought it to my lawyer and he found it and he was like, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. This is what it means. And he mm -hmm. got it negotiated out. But you can right. imagine like the multiples of money that I could have lost, like the thousands, the tens of mm -hmm. thousands, the amount of money that we we're paying off our student loans. I mean, right. there were certain months where we were putting in, you know, like close to 10K, $15,000 in addition mm -hmm. towards our student loans to get them paid off. So you can right. imagine. Because you of multiply that, that right. You multiply that by a month, two months, by five, you know, months, 10 months, mm -hmm. we talking about multiple, a lot of money that when I initially paid this lawyer, you know, we paid him what, $600 per contract. Yeah. And then we paid him just a, an additional more, like $300 each mm -hmm. to not only review the contract, but then to call the hospital and negotiate and speak on, on our behalf, behalf. and That's then let right. us know what's going on. And the reason we did that, folks, is because I didn't feel comfortable speaking that legalese talk with the hospital. I didn't feel comfortable, you know, not taking things personal. Whereas he's very, he, we're going to have him on a show in the future. He's mm -hmm. very like systematic about it. He's very like non-emotional about it, mm -hmm. which is the way that we all have to do and be about it. And that's why I mentioned, I was like, listen, it's really important that we, you know, not equate value to self-worth. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the value and what we bring to a hospital is not self-worth. And right. I think we oftentimes conflate the two and yeah. you can get really emotional when you present something to the hospital and they're like, yeah, we're not going to pay you that. And then all of a sudden you right. get emotional and then you're not making right decisions. You're not right. making really, uh, what's the word I want to use? You're not making rational decisions. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important to get someone, pay for someone 
who can give you really good advice, take their advice and possibly even negotiate on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you mentioned something that is just so real to a lot of docs, especially those who are listening, you know, to the show is that there's a fear of negotiation. There's a fear that, you know, speak on it. Right. Like, am I, am I asking for too much? Um, One, should I ask? And again, I look at it as you shouldn't look at it as asking because you're not asking. You are presenting conditions and they are presenting conditions. So the fact that you even think that you're asking already puts you in a mindset that somebody is in the authority to give you something. Look at you. Right? I like that. See, that's why I married you. That's why I made you, co- that's why I made you temporary co-host. You know what I'm saying? I love that. I love that. Keep going. Keep going. But the other thing is, you know, am I asking for too much? Right. Am I being unreasonable? You know, is what the hospital offering um, reasonable for me? And then if I if I counter, am I asking for too much? Right. And so I think people are afraid to negotiate because they think, well, will I miss out on a good opportunity? Will they pull it away because I negotiated? Right. Did I negotiate my opportunity away? Yeah. Right. And remember, here's the thing. You can't look at anything as an opportunity. You have to look at it as a job opening. That's all it is. The opportunity comes in the negotiation. That's where the opportunity comes. Because if it's not going to work for you, if there are certain conditions that they are presenting to you that you feel like, you know what, this is not going to work for me, then how is that an opportunity? Yeah. That can't be an opportunity for you. Do you ever you know? feel like, let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you have, when you negotiate or when you decide to get a lawyer that like you have to negotiate on the behalf of all women, like all of us? <laughs> I've know? never actually felt that, like that way. Is that, is, is that wrong for me to even say that? I'm just wondering if you ever no, felt like that. No, I've never felt that way in particular. Uh, I think each, you know, each negotiation is very individualized, which which is why you have so many people, you know, so so many variations, right, of of salary and, and rates within the same scope of practice, right? Um, so I think, you know, I, I can't negotiate on on behalf of everybody and be like, well, if I get this, then they will give this to all women. No, they might just give it to me you know, and not give it to, you know, all the other women who come behind. But I think this is, this is the importance of this show, right? Is to, is basically to showcase to our audience that, hey, listen, these are the reasons that you should negotiate. Here is how you should approach a negotiation. Here's a mindset with which you should enter negotiations. If you are uncomfortable negotiating, here is what you can do. You can get a lawyer to do it on your behalf and be willing to put everything that you want on the table, know what your deal breakers are, and know where you're willing to compromise, right? So I read a book recently called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And it's a negotiation book. He actually was a hostage negotiator. And th- this book is, there's like 50-50 on this book where people are like, oh, this is a horrible book because when am I ever going to be a hostage negotiator? And people who love the book. You're missing the point. Huh? You're missing the point. Right, exactly. Those people are missing the point. The whole point of of the book is how to become a better 
communicator so that you come to the best possible outcome. So that it is an opportunity in this example, an opportunity for the hospital and an opportunity for you. The best possible outcome. And um, yeah, I think that's how we need to start looking at it. So I want to circle back to your point about you don't share rates with others. So I am very similar. I don't share my rates with everyone, but I have shared my rates with other docs who Mm -hmm. are locums who I know will be responsible with that amount because I feel the same way as you, right? Like the way in which I structure my contract is I make myself as as efficient as possible. And I'm going to put it out there on Front Street. I'm going to put it out there right now and tell people right now, like, I've be- I became a better doctor when I became better at business. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm going to tell people just really, when I knew how to negotiate for myself, when I knew how to value my time, and when I knew how to uh, understand the value that I bring to a hospital and properly monetize that, right. I think I became a better doctor because I knew how to advocate for myself. I knew when I am at my best. And then I know, look, there's certain things that you want that I can't do and I can't overtax myself and that's it. And yeah, when I you know protect that your time. I protect my time and I also protect I protect my time, but I also protect just who I am. The mental right? like the mental right. thing. Cause I know that there's only so much that I can take. And when now that I'm willing to talk about that on in Front Street, all my negotiations, it's mm-hmm. made me a better doctor. Yeah. So I, I I agree with you. Like there are ways in which as a doctor, as a trauma surgeon, as an OB, or even as a family med doctor, that you can be very, um, you can be very strategic in mm-hmm. how you make money. You can be very strategic in how you value your time. And with me, I agree with you. You can't share that with everybody because there are people who will undercut you. There are people who will devalue your time. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, the folks that I've shared my rates with are people who I know are going, those are the people who are going to look at it like sports. They're going to be like, oh, what? But you got that? Bet. That means that I'm going to be able to go 10% higher, 20% higher. And then they come back and let me know their numbers. And I'm like, bet, you got paid that? (laughs) Word? Right. Everybody gets a raise. That means I know I'm going 10, 20% more than that. And we just keep it going that way. And you have these conversations and it becomes collaborative Mm -hmm. as opposed to competition. And I think that that's the best way to look at it. So- yeah. You know, everybody gets a raise and and that really is what it should be. I mean, right now for employed docs, and, and I don't know if all employed docs know this, but if you are a new doc, especially, and you, you kind of figured out that, wait a minute, I'm probably making less than my colleagues. If you are employed, W-2, you can actually go to your human resources department and ask them, what is the highest salary that someone is being paid, you don't. they don't have to tell you who, but what is the highest salary that someone is being paid for the same work that I'm doing, the same position that I'm in? If they tell you any higher than what you're currently working for, you just got to raise. You just got to tell them that's what you want. Yeah, it's true. You just got to tell them that's what you want. Instead of whining about, it's not fair, how does this person, da-da-da-da, just be like, oh, word, they're making $50,000 over what I'm making? That's what I want. Yeah, don't don't think that, well, if I just keep working and be quiet, someone will recognize. I think right. this comes to the part where you talk about, like, 
you know, well, if I remain quiet and I do my job, mm-hmm. someone, you know, at year 10, someone will recognize what I'm doing, yeah. give me the promotion that I deserve or give me the pay raise that I need. And it's mm-hmm. just not going to show up. You really have yeah. to advocate for yourself. And like I said, you know, a lot of people don't feel comfortable. So getting a lawyer is actually something that a lot of people do. You'll be really surprised. It's okay. Yeah. I remember the first time, remember the first time I started doing locums when I went to one hospital one of the locums docs who was there also was working through another company and they were letting me know that they were paying, getting paid like almost $1,500 more per day mm. than I was. Mm. And I, I was com- I was completely blown away. At first, you know, I was just like, Dag, I can't believe they're getting paid this much more than me. And I think you were the one who was like, well, there's no need to get mad. Just look at it as now you know what the range is and now you should be able to go back and ask for more from your company. Mm-hmm. And- I never got as high as that, you know, uh, working with, you know, this locums company. I ended up doing myself and I made way more. But the point was, was just understanding that there is like this entire space. There's this like, this other world that you can just say, wait, I don't have to just accept what's given to me. I can ask for more. Right. There's always more. And for me, the, the math came out, you know, we're talking about women making 2 million less. Like I was thinking about that situation where it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, they're getting paid $1,500 more per day. Like you, I was doing the math in my head. Like you multiply times seven, multiply times, you know, 30, you know, for days in a month and then the years and all these different things. These guys are going to be making like millions of dollars compared to you, compared to me. (laughs) I got to do something about this. And this is me like literally within that first year of being uh, and attending on my own. I've right. never looked back since. And since then, I've always been like, I got to get as much that um, that I have leverage to ask for. Right. So, right, right. Well, look, so. we, we, we went through a lot. We went through a lot, guys. Yeah. So remember, we talked about, you know, trading time for dollars. We described what the difference between active income and passive income. Remember, with active income, you know, it's a job or it's something that you personally have to show up for to get that money. And remember that it is taxed at a highest rate, right? At the highest IRS rates, it is taxed. Whereas passive income, you know, that's something in which you may put in the initial sweat equity, but afterwards it becomes an evergreen product. Think about like creating a course, right? right? Things like that are taxed at a lower tax rate, okay? Um, we also talked about the differences in the pay gap, or excuse me, the pay gap between women and men physicians and how important that is and why it's very important for women mm-hmm. to make sure you hit it out the park when you're negotiating in your first contract. Now, you know, there's some studies out there that are showing that, you know, these are the things that the healthcare industry, academic institutions can do to kind of decrease that gap. I'm telling y'all right now, you better not wait for that. You start speaking exactly. On, start speaking <laughs> Wait for on, people to do the right thing. Hey, start Gina, speaking. On, where my poster? Where my poster <laughs> that tell people what to do? Hey, Alfred, yo, put like uh, Martin's uh, do the right thing poster right here, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yo, the, you remember I had that Spike Lee do the right thing? One of my favorite movies of all time. Y'all need to check that out, yo. Shocked and never got an Oscar, but anyway, or never got nominated for one. Are you really shocked? Come I on. am. I love that movie. I think that's one of the best. No, no, movies. no, no, no. I'm saying, are you really shocked? No, I'm not shocked, but it just got not recent. I think maybe several years ago, it got added into the Library of Congress, right? Because those are for movies that they think effectively, you know, describe the life and times of that period. That's a it was a classic in its time, and so people didn't realize that at the time that it came out. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then we talked about the power of negotiating, guys, how much working for less can cost you and what not negotiating can do. And we gave you some tips, right, of how to negotiate on your own or if you don't feel really comfortable doing it, which I highly recommend getting a lawyer to do it on your behalf. Mm -hmm. And yes, that first uh, how much you're paying them. It's it's something that you may have to pay, but if you consider the multiples that they're going to get you back, paying six hundred dollars right. or twelve hundred dollars and getting an additional twenty thousand dollars, an additional twenty thousand dollars per year, or maybe thirty, forty, fifty, or maybe an additional hundred thousand dollars or even more, mm-hmm. based off of that, or even getting a significant amount of loan repayback. Right? A, it is well. It's a drop worth in it. the bucket. Y'all need to check that out. So yeah. listen, guys, we talked about a lot. We appreciate y'all listening to Docs Outside the Box. I want you guys to text us at 833-230-2860. Let us know what you think about this discussion. Do you agree with what we say? Do you disagree? Or you just want to say what's up? So, yeah, we like to hear what's up. And don't forget to follow us on YouTube. Yo, shout out to everybody on or YouTube. Or like our son says, MewTube. Is that what he says? Yeah, he says MewTube. Uh. See, that's cute. That's cute. <laughs> hey, everyone, we are slowly but surely increasing our YouTube presence. We are making and getting like the experience on YouTube is is amazing. Like what we are able to do visually, what we're able to do with our. Yeah, shout out to Alfred, yo. Shout out to Alfred. Shout out to Christian also with our audio yeah. experience. But we are mm-hmm. taking things to another level. So we definitely appreciate y'all who are listening through YouTube. And if you're listening through podcasts, we love it. It's great. But just consider checking us out on YouTube. So listen, yeah. Renee, let's let's get out of this because you know it's getting late. It's will, late. Now it's it is, getting late. It's late. All right. I'm it t- is late. Hired. I'm supposed to be on call in less than, you know, I'm not gonna say how many hours. I'm on call but with let's our say, kids. Hey guys, <laughs> we will catch you guys on the next episode of Docs Outside the Box. Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only, Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Nee, the Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.